Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by 2010 Talent, a career resource for talented Black women sharing inspiring career profiles, companies, and resources with women across the globe. Do you want to take your career to the next level? 2010 Talent specializes in helping Black women accelerate with one-to-one career coaching. Ready to invest in your future? Visit 2010talent.com for more information. In today's episode, you meet Terry Lynn Devonish, the Chief Compliance Officer for North America at Aon Corporation. In her position, she is responsible for providing compliance advice and guidance to Aon's business units in Canada and the United States. Terry Lynn received a BA from College Glendon, New York University, and an LLB from Osgood Hall Law School. She is a director of the National Theater School of Canada and a member of the Black Women's Lawyers Association of Greater Chicago. She's also a member of the Ontario Bar Association and the Canadian Association of Black Lawyers. She volunteers with the Cabrini Green Legal Aid Clinic in Chicago. Terry and her team were also one of the finalists in the ZSA Financial Post Canadian General Counsel Awards in the Social Responsibility category in 2015, and Terry Lynn was chosen as one of Canada's top 40 under 40 in 2007. I've had the pleasure of knowing Terry for almost a year, and I can say without a shadow of a doubt, she is one of the kindest people that I've ever met. She always opens up her heart and her resources to to the people that she meets. And she really is a champion for um, women um, and helping them make their, you know, career dreams a possibility. So I hope you get a lot from this conversation with me and Terry. Hi, Terry. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Happy to be here. Um, so I remember when I first met you, we met pretty randomly and you told me what you did and I nodded my head and I smiled and I still, I had no idea what it is that you, you did. Um, and so you're a chief compliance officer. What does that mean? That's a great question. Uh, so companies, uh, especially publicly traded companies have, uh, and regulated companies have a whole list of rules and regulations that they have to follow. Um, in order to make sure their products are safe, their services are appropriate, they're not breaking any laws, they're being good to their customers, the environment, the community. And so the job of a chief compliance officer is to manage that risk, making sure that the company is complying with all of the applicable rules and regulations. We're doing the right thing for our customers, for our employees, for our community. Okay. And that sounds like a huge job, so we'll get to that later. But (laughs) is that something that you always wanted to do? Did you know that this job existed? No, I, I didn't, to, to all of those questions. I'm a lawyer by trade, okay. so I have practiced law for about 21 years. Okay. Um, my first uh, compliance job was, gosh, it's got to be 15, 16 years ago, and I really just fell into it, um, you know, working with a company where compliance was needed, and it was the right place at the right time to learn something and take an opportunity, and that's how I learned it. And then what was your first corporate job? This? I know you said about 15, 16 years yeah. ago, so your first undergrad law school what was the first big girl corporate job (laughs) my first big girl girl corporate job was at a law firm so I'm originally Canadian okay and uh, so I was living and working in Toronto 
and my first big girl job was at a large law firm. It was one of the largest law firms in Canada. Okay. I had interned there as a student and then was offered a full-time job after I graduated from law school and completed my licensing. So for you, because you went and got extra training after undergrad, did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer, work in a corporate setting? It, was that the dream? Yeah, uh, kind of. I laugh. I came from immigrant parents. My parents immigrated to Canada in the 1960s. Anyone who has immigrant parents will know that you hear the, the recurring theme that you, your parents want you to do better than they did. That's why they came to the country. And my parents, you know, there was no question. We were all, I have two sisters, we were all going to university. And, you know, the, the, the typical professions, doctor, lawyer, teacher, accountant. Engineer. Kept, yes, kept recurring. We now have a teacher, a lawyer, and an accountant. So I, <laughs> I drew that lawyer straw. Uh, no, my, I, I, I laugh and say my, my, my parents brainwashed me. But seriously, they encouraged us to, to, to look for fulfilling professions. And that was the one that I, you know, they had encouraged me to pursue it. And I looked at it, and that's the one I chose. Got it. So... Thinking now, the grown-up you, if you had not pursued law, what would you have pursued? <laughs> it's hard to say. I haven't really thought about it since I did it. If you'd asked me that when I was 15, I would have said I wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is what I do, and, and I, I find the nice thing about law is it is very versatile. There are lawyers doing all kinds of things. There are lawyers that are CEOs, that are CFOs, so chief executive officers, chief financial officers, running their own business, mm-hmm. working in nonprofits. Uh, you find it's a very versatile uh, trade. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a misconception that everyone who's a lawyer is in court and they're doing That's all right. of those things and there are a variety of careers that, because who would have thought that compliance, it just, nobody thinks about That's that. That's right. I have a very good friend who is a real estate lawyer. You, if you asked her to go to court, she would run the other way. But she's a fabulous lawyer. It's, mm. it, that's the great thing about law is it, 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 needs, it requires people with many different skills, not just people who want to stand up and argue in court. Got it. And um, one of the things that I noticed about you when we first met, not supposed to, is your hair, right? <laughs> and so you have sister locks. Have sister they are locks. stunningly beautiful and Thank long. You. Um, have you always had your hair like this? And have you thought about it as you've gotten more senior? Is it something that you pay attention to? Great. So I, I got my sister locks, boy, it's probably 20 years ago, oh. at least now. Uh, when I started my first big girl job, my hair was in a short natural buzz cut. Okay. So I have not processed my hair since 1992. I was in law school. I had a cute Holly Berry. You remember the little Holly yes. Berry? Yes. Trying to do that and do four hours of reading and studying mm. a night wasn't working. And I walked into a barber shop on Bathurst Street in Toronto and asked the barber to shave it off. And um, I had it. So when I started my big girl job, think the equivalent of walking onto a large law firm in, on Wall Street in New York. Okay. I walked into that equivalent in Canada with a... a basically a brush cut and natural hair. What gave you the confidence <laughs> to be, because I know even now people who have been places for a while, they still, like, it's a, it's a thing that people yeah. are insecure about. Where did you get the confidence to be like, listen, this is me? A couple of things. One, the relaxer never worked for me. My hair just mm-hmm. never took to the relaxer. It broke, it looked thin. The brush cut, uh, sorry, the buzz cut, the natural hair just really worked on me. I felt, I, I I liked my hair for the first time in my life. Mm. I found I could wear makeup and earrings and still feel feminine. It just suited me. So I think I just felt better about my hair for the first time ever. Mm. The second thing is you realize quickly that we make a bigger deal of hair than those of us outside of our community. Mm. Uh, When people see us, they see us as black women. And you can have a brush cut, you can have dreadlocks, braids, 
they are still going to touch your hair and ask you all kinds of questions about it, even when it's straight. Yeah. And so if you want to straighten your hair because that's the way your hair works and you like it, great. But I would, I would always say to people, do what, what feels good for you, not what you think corporate America or corporate wherever in the world wants mm -hmm. to see from you because honestly, they don't know. And I will tell you, I have friends who have straight hair and they get the same thing, people coming in and touching their hair and mm -hmm. asking them all kinds of ridiculous questions. Mm -hmm. Do you wash it? And I, that happens to me, and it's you know, that's going to happen regardless of how your hair is. That's just curiosity and ignorance. And you might as well be comfortable. If it's going to happen anyway. Yeah, be comfortable. Um, so you, and I don't know if this is different in Canada versus in the U.S. Um, so we talk about mentorship a lot. So in the early stages of your career, did you have black female mentors? Um, so we'll start there. Okay, I think the experience in Canada and the U.S. is very similar. Okay. When I started in my career, it, was, it would have been the mid to late 90s, there weren't a lot of black lawyers, period. And I think mm -hmm. it was probably the same in most places in the U.S., say for, say, New York. Uh, so I didn't have many people to look to, male or female, um, and I had to find mentorship where I could. And it was spotty, I'll be honest. I didn't have great mentors. As uh, our profession has matured, as it's become more diverse, I've been able to find some wonderful mentors. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what I would say is I found mentors of all races and genders, mostly women. I mm -hmm. will say mostly women. Mm -hmm. But one of the best mentors I had was someone that I worked with who was a, a senior executive woman who just came to me one day and said, hey, I want to give you some feedback. I want you to talk more at meetings. You're more than a lawyer. You're a business partner. You're a smart woman. I, I want to challenge you to say more. And she gave me the confidence to really you know, start doing things in my career that really opened up other doors for me. That's uh, phenomenal. Yeah, and I think you just find a mentor wherever you can find one. That's pretty cool for her to say, you know what, this can help your career. So I gain nothing from this, but here's some advice to, to give to you. That's amazing. And I know people struggle to find mentors. Yes. And I think it's because we have a very... Um, boxed view of what a mentor is, yeah. what they're supposed to do. And so looking in those unorthodox places, I know a lot of what we've heard is you find your mentors doing work. Like people see your work, they yes. see your skills, and they, like you, she saw potential in you, yes. but you didn't actively go and say, hey, want to be my mentor, right. right? Because I don't know that those I, work. I think that works too. Okay. I totally agree with you that it has to be a relationship. So yep. someone has to have already seen your work, like you, and, and see you as a trusted colleague. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if I had gone to her in a month and said, hey, I really like the I really like the way you work and operate, and I would like to, you to, I would like to be your mentor. As a mentor, as a mentee, I think you have to really take responsibility in the relationship. Even after she gave that advice, I was the one that would set up the meetings with her, would set an agenda. Mm -hmm. I gave her an understanding of what I wanted from her. So I would say to people, don't go up to someone you don't know. Once you have a relationship at work, make sure it's somebody that you admire, somebody whose traits you'd like to emulate. I don't think there's anything wrong with just saying to that person, I admire the way you work, I'd like to learn from you. Could we set up an informal or formal mentorship? But you as the mentee own it. You have mm -hmm. to set up the meetings, you have to be there, you have to you have to be responsible. To set it. the agenda. Yeah. So it's perfectly fine to say, I admire you. Absolutely. I want to learn from you. Absolutely. But know the person. Right. <laughs> so I don't know you can many, say those things. I don't know too many people who would react negatively to those two sentences. Okay. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. So um, one of the things as we've just started to discuss, right, outside of mentorship is your network. So coming from Canada, right, you had to pretty much start over. You'd established yourself there. Yeah. So how have you gone about intentionally creating a network for yourself here in the States? It's a great question. And it's not easy. And the big thing I would say is um, you have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, especially when you're a little older and you move. Uh, you're, you're comfortable. You have your friends and mm -hmm. your colleagues. 
Moving into a, a, a city like Chicago, I didn't know a lot of people, and the first thing I did was look for networks. So I joined the Black uh, Women Lawyers of Chicago, the, the BWLA. Um, I joined a, the, a number of legal and non-legal, uh, informal and informal networks. I asked people to make introductions, and again, I had to own the following up and getting to know people, um, and then it just started happening. People are happy to help others when they come to a new country. They remember their time moving to a new city or country, mm -hmm. and those networks happen, but you have to own it, and it takes work, and sometimes you're tired or you just don't feel like extending yourself, and you have to. The other thing I'd say is be authentic. Be who you are, and you will find people who are like-minded or who you connect with, and that's how your networks grow. What do you think is the most thing, the most important thing to consider when you are networking, right? So I think a lot of times people think networking is, I go to a lot of events, I collect a lot of business right. cards, and then that's my network. Yeah. And then when I need something, I'll randomly reach out to them in six months, even though yeah. I haven't talked to them. So for you, what is the most important thing to consider strategy-wise or just human-wise when putting together a network? I think you have to think about, A, your time. How much time do you have? And B, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a new job? Are you looking for someone who can mentor you? Are you looking for somebody that you can partner with, somebody who has industry experience you can share? Mm -hmm. And then you do some targeted networking. Once you find people, I think, that you and you have to connect with them, it's building a relationship. So yes, it's not a matter of collecting a card and calling someone in six months. I will do periodic coffees, mm -hmm. uh, coffee is an easy one, glass mm -hmm. of wine, mm -hmm. lunch, and then I also make sure what am I adding to the relationship. So it's not just take, 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 mm -hmm. it's how can I help you? You know, if you, uh, if you are somebody in another organization and, and we're working and I'm looking for networks, maybe I've got a precedent that will help you or an experience that I'll help you. Maybe I'm asking you to give me contacts in Chicago, but you're looking for contacts in Canada. Mm. How can we make this you know, mutual and symbiotic? So what if there's a young lady who's listening to, the, to this who's like, I'm 25, I don't have anything to offer, which is not true, right? Everyone Absolutely. has something to offer. That's what right. are some things that they could be thinking about, like this is the value that you could potentially bring? Uh, well, first of all, I think employment. So having, um, you know, you're employable. The other thing I would say is, I look around my own organization, youth are doing incredible things. And I think you come with fresh perspective, you have ideas about social media, you have ideas about what's happening in the world, your, your finger's on the pulse more than us old fogies, and you have that to, to offer. I mean, I think about our social media, or other organizations, social media uh, programs or policies, and young people are shaping that. They understand mm -hmm. what's, what's happening, where directions are going, where trends are, mm -hmm. and you can share that with somebody. Yeah. And I think those are the skills that we take they take for granted, right? Absolutely. They, it's social media, the digital landscape, they breathe it, they lived it. Most people who are younger have not been alive without it. That's and fine. so they think that everyone is the same way. And it's like, no, that's a value that you can you can bring and add to Ab someone. Absolutely. Um, so now you are pretty, I, I don't know that you get more senior than being in the C-suite of a company, but what skills have you had to develop along the way from when you, let's say you were at the manager director level that have allowed you to be successful in the seat that you sit in now? Yeah, great question. One of the key things, I think, is just being a good communicator, knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to listen. Huge part of communication is also just being quiet and listening, and really mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. I, I went to a, a program recently on listening and active listening, and one of the things they asked us is, how many times do you sit talking to someone, and as the person's talking, You've shut down and you're already formulating your response. Hmm. And all of us thought, wow, that's what we do. Active <laughs> listening is just sitting there and taking it in mm. with, with a blank slate mm -hmm. and processing what the person is saying. 
I would say another key thing is uh, confidence, and tied with that is not being afraid to fail. People are talking a lot about fast failure and the growth mindset. I don't like a lot of those monikers, but what I will say is oftentimes, as a black woman, we have a very, people are expecting things that are often negative about us, Mm -hmm. and we don't always feel like we've got a lot of runway to make to fail. And that Mm -hmm. may be true, but I think we limit ourselves if we stay safe. And I think it's important for us to take chances, look for opportunities to stretch and grow. Those of us in the majority or people in the majority will often put their hand up for things when they only know 40% of, of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of what, they, what the job entails. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we think, oh, I have to know 90 or 99%. You mm-hmm. don't. You don't. And so I Do would you hear that, ladies? <laughs> you don't need to know it all in order to raise your hand. Yes. Yeah. You will learn it. Um, you, you know what you can and can't do, and I would encourage people to take chances. Take, don't take ridiculous chances, but take chances. Mm-hmm. I took a chance moving here to Chicago. This was a role I, I had not lived here before. Mm-hmm. I had to learn all the rules and regulations. I had to learn the business, but I knew the business in Canada. It's not too, not too difficult, not too different, and so that's why I thought, well, this is a leap, but I'm going to take it. Mm-hmm. And so you talked a little bit about the perceived negative expectations of black women. How have you adapted your communication style, right? So one of the things that's like, you don't want to be seen as the angry black woman. You don't want to be seen as too assertive, but you don't want to be seen as too weak. And when you're processing all those things, it's hard to just focus on your job, right? So how have you been able to either compartmentalize it or just like not let it shape how you move forward through your work day? Well, one of the things I always say that we as black women have and we don't always recognize we have is good EQ. So that's good emotional quotient. We, to survive in the world, read people. We go into a store. We can see which clerk is following us around and which one is really going to help us. We go into a restaurant. You know which server is going to treat you well and which one is going to try and put you in the back. When you go into the workplace, you know who is looking at you and thinking, I'm going to give this person a chance, and who isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to adapt your communication style for the environment you're in, just mm-hmm. like you adapt your life for the environment you're in. Mm-hmm. So really rely on your, your EQ, I think, is key. Uh, I also say, I don't think you have to be the friendly, happy black woman all the time. I am very courteous. I, I really believe in relationships, and I would encourage people, that's the, the business world we're in right now, it's mm-hmm. all about relationships. Mm-hmm. and. You know, if you're confrontational, this goes for anyone, not just black women, if you're confrontational and difficult and you have a chip on your shoulder, you're not going to build relationships. Mm-hmm. So be, be careful, you know, understand the, the, the world we're in, but I think build relationships and keep the anger or the, you know, the righteousness in your back pocket. Sometimes mm-hmm. you've got to be the angry black woman when it calls for it. If people really aren't listening or you're being disrespected mm-hmm. or worse yet, you're being asked to do something that's not ethical. Uh, I, I had to pull that out in a meeting. I've only probably ever done it a handful of times in my life, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like, if you you all don't know Terry, but she's like the nicest, sweetest person. <laughs> she meets you, and she immediately is like, "How can I help you?" We met randomly at church, right? And it's like. She's one of those people that she sees you and she sees the best in everyone. So the fact that she's like, but sometimes you got to pull it out. Like, absolutely, it, it matters sometimes. Absolutely, and sometimes it's just a matter of letting people know. You, you can't disrespect me in this way or I won't put up with that. And, and it's a last resort. It's not mm-hmm. something you pull out every now and then, but everybody's got to stand their ground at some point, and, and that applies to us too. And we have the right to we have because everybody right else, to. everyone else, because we're human, right? At the That's end of right. the day, humans have feelings, and so not suppressing them, I think, helps. Um, as you've grown more in your, in your career, 
you've had to deal with managing more as opposed to like being in the weeds, like actually managing people, which comes with the responsibility. So when people come to you and they talk about moving to the next level or doing those things, like what do you look for? The first thing I do is, again, ask them to own that. And so I, I want to, again, listen, what types of things are you looking to grow in? So if you're a good writer, maybe you want to you want to move into something else. You want to move into planning or you want to learn to be a better communicator. So I, I ask them, what are they looking for? What are they looking to grow? What opportunities interest them? And then I start looking out for those types of in opportunities. Usually it's a project. So it's not just lifting and shifting someone to another department or another opportunity. There may be a project which may seem small, but it gets them introduced to other people. It gets them mm. to practice the skill set. Uh, I also then try and expand their network. So we had this situation recently where you know, somebody said, I want to do something differently. And what I did is I went to look for other people in the organization who did that and then connected them and said, have conversations, mm. see if you like what they're doing. If that interests you, then let's look for those small projects that, mm. that will help. Got it. And then for you, how have you known in the past when it was time for you to move on from a position? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, um, it's not always easy to tell. For me, in my experience, I feel like I'm not learning anymore. I'm feeling a bit restless. I'm feeling like I want to try something new. And in my experience, it's good to have those conversations with your boss. You need to have a very open and honest boss. Again, use your EQ. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate that I've had, I have had those types of bosses, and I've had support. Okay. And then you, is it three months, like, is it, do you come up with a plan with them? Or is it, because I know a lot of times people feel stuck, right? Yes. And not necessarily knowing, and this is going to sound very privileged, but, like, you have the ability to get unstuck, right? There are just some things that you have to take ownership for right. to move your career forward. So for you, is it... Once I six months feeling restless, then I go with a plan, or is it like the minute that you feel like, okay, it might be time you start those conversations? Yeah. Some people I've heard have amazing, these amazing career plans. I've never had one. Okay. <laughs> I, it's just been, for me, opportunity, and, and just holding my nose and taking opportunity. And sometimes that's worked out, sometimes it hasn't. Mm. And uh, that's really how it works. So for me, with, with me, it's just been looking for a new opportunity. Mm. And, and the last time I kind of felt restless and wanted a new opportunity, I started looking around and thinking, what do I want to do? What else is out there? I made some suggestions to my boss, and then something else came up that, mm. that I wasn't looking for, but then it just came to me. Got it. And then with all of you've had a long corporate career, right? And with entrepreneurship being like the hot thing, did you ever consider it? Did you ever say, maybe I'll open my own law practice? Like, is it anything that you've ever flirted with? Absolutely, but not in law. I, uh, mm -hmm. I, when I thought about it, it's really some other product or service just as a, as a woman, as a black woman, mm -hmm. is there something that I could do to help other black women? Uh, so absolutely, I thought about it. Huh, so then what keeps you, what has kept you in corporate? I'm still learning, I'm still growing, mm. I've had great opportunities, I continue to, to see great opportunities, and that's really what's kept me here. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed it, there's obviously stability, mm -hmm. but it's more about opportunities and learning, and maybe there will be a point in my career where, I, where I'll try something new, but right now, this is really working for me. So for a young lady who's listening to this now and says, like, I don't feel like there's a place in corporate for me, what would you say to her? I would say to her, uh, there are places for lots of people in corporate America, Things have really changed, and you see more diversity. There's a lot more to be done in the corporate world, but I believe we are at a, at a place where now more than ever before you can be more of your authentic self. Mm. It is. I'm not saying it's it's a perfect place, but I think you, you can be more. There's more appetite for that, and uh, I think there's a place for everyone here if you want it. Mm. Just got to find the right fit. Yeah, and there are great opportunities here. The learning, 
uh, financial compensation, opportunities, global opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think there, there are really good opportunities in, in the corporate space. And is there, um, looking back at your career holistically, is there a time where you like made a decision where you thought this is the end, I'm never gonna get another job, and then how do you rebound from like what's a perceived failure? Yeah. Um, because I think we think when we're entry and middle level, everything seems so permanent. Absolutely. Something happens, you're like, oh my God, I'm never gonna Life get another job, over. right? Yes. And so have you had one of those moments and how do you rebound? Yeah, I've had many of those moments. Many, many, many. many. Uh -huh. sure, sure. Failure is a part of life, it happens all the time. I make decisions that aren't the right ones all the time, everyone does. Uh, the key thing is to, and there's a, there's a saying that another woman I admire very much says, fail fast. And it's something you hear in corporations as well. Fail fast. If you make a mistake, do not try and cover it up. And it's hard when you're a junior person because you think, oh my goodness. What I say to people is don't look for cover. Fix it. Mm. Fix it as soon as you can. 99% of the time you can fix it. Then you may have to disclose it. You may have to say, hey, look, this is what I did or this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Here's how I resolved it. Mm -hmm. Here's how you go. Uh, there are going to be those times when you just have to, again, fess up, but try and come up with a plan of action. And oftentimes, if you can say, look, this is what's happened, but here's how we're going to, to, to remedy it, mm -hmm. it's less of an issue. It's less of an issue that you yeah. thought through yes. problem solving. Yeah. I think we've, um, with my team, we always talk about don't come to me with a problem if you have not you talked through three solutions right. and what your recommendation for the best way to yeah. move forward is. And rely on your network. So mm -hmm. I always say to people is have a handful of people in your life that you can go and bear your soul and you know that it can be trusted and they don't have to work for you. Mm -hmm. I have friends outside of my work environment, sometimes that's safer, where I can say, hey, look, this is what I'm struggling with mm -hmm. and be completely open and get the advice that you need. So have the, again, goes back to the network, very important thing. Okay, so last question before our lightning round. Everyone talks about work-life balance, right? It's a thing that, and then you feel pressured because you don't have the balance, and you're like, why don't I have the balance? And then you're more stressed out, and then you have less balance, and it's just like, <laughs> and self-care and all of these things. Like, yeah. do you feel like you have a work-life balance? And if so, how did you get it? Right. The answer is sometimes. I don't think you mm. always feel like you have it. Right now, I do, for some reason. I do, I do. it's working out. I think all you can do is try. So mm. I tell people, all you can do is try. Um, and I try and do that by keeping a mix of things. I love socializing. I love entertaining. Mm -hmm. I love eating and dancing and going out with my friends. Mm -hmm. And I try and get that in as much as possible. Mm -hmm. If I force it, this week I'm exhausted. Tomorrow night, we're just going to stay home and relax. Um, but if, I, if I'm able to do that, I do that. Um, church is very important to mm -hmm. me and my faith. And so I keep that up. Exercise, as much as I don't always feel like doing it, it helps me mentally, it's good mm -hmm. for me physically, mm -hmm. uh, it helps me, it gives me energy, and so I continue my exercise. Um, you know, I think it's just a real, a real mix. And so when you can get the time, take the time. Mm -hmm. I was just telling one of my colleagues, uh, teasing her because she works so much, I said, have you ever had a hooky day? You know, take the hooky days when you can. Last Saturday I was working on a Saturday, you know, I, was, I had to work. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow I'm gonna try and leave at about two o'clock. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's an ebb and flow, so take the breaks when you can, Work hard when you have to. Got it. That's such good advice. So I just took my first week-long vacation good. ever Take in life. Weeks. You got to two weeks. And I only sent one work email. Yeah. I was so proud of myself because typically I have two hours in the morning and an hour at night on vacation where I work. And yeah. it's like, no, done yeah. with that. Good. Okay, so two the Two weeks is the, that's the goal. Two, two weeks. weeks. Everyone oh. should be able to take two weeks. You come back a new person. What? Okay, <laughs> I'll work my way to that. So lightning round. Don't think this through a okay. lot. It's just the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. What's one piece of career advice that you took and looking back now you should not have taken? Wow. Um, don't wear pants to work. What? 
<laughs> Somebody told me that. Somebody and told you me followed it for a while? Well, I was a junior, uh, I think I was a junior student probably at a firm in my internship. And a female partner told me that and I was afraid. I was worried. And uh, I did. And um, I wanted to wear pants and I ended up reverting back to wearing pants. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> what's the career lesson that's taking you the longest to learn but has been the most impactful on your career? Right back to our conversation about failing and not being afraid to fail, not being afraid to own your failure and learn from your failure. Mm. And then what's one book that you could either read over and over again or that you recommend to people the most? Wow. Um, I'm such a big reader, it's hard to say. There's one I'm thinking about right now and I can't remember the name of it. I just read a very funny one called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine and I recommended that to a couple people. I'm a big mm -hmm. fiction writer or fiction reader. Okay. So anything that's fiction and funny is what I'll recommend. You should read Crazy Rich Asians. Yes, I have. It's I so, have. we should go see it. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. I read yeah. it in one day. Yeah. That's impressive. One that's day impressive. on the 11-hour flight to Hawaii. I was like, great, done. It's <laughs> very, very good. Um, so what do you hope that others are saying about you when you are not in the room? Good question. I hope they will say that I'm a trusted colleague, that mm. I'm a trusted uh, advisor. Mm. That's a good one. People have faith in your ability to lead. Yes. Um, so those are all the questions that I had. Thank Great. you so much for your Thank time. You. This is a fabulous initiative. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, let me... So here are my three actionable takeaways from the interview with Terry. One, be aware of what you want so that when help is offered, you can articulate the best way that someone can help you. Two, work on your problem-solving skills because the more senior you become, the more time you spend solving problems. And so having good problem-solving skills will really set you apart. And lastly, listen to understand, not to respond. And that can be applied to your career or just your life in general. But the importance of listening as you become more senior in your career cannot ever be um, stated enough. As always, if you'd like to keep the conversation going and share some of the gems that you got from this episode, join us in our Facebook group at I Choose the Ladder. Until next time, thank you for listening.